our subject is a very positive one. It's about the Bible hope and about the promise that God gives to those who have faith in him of eternal life. We'd like to begin by trying to understand what the Bible says about the opposite subject, about the subject of death. Because until we can understand the concept of death from the Bible perspective, we're never really going to understand what the hope of the Bible is and what resurrection is all about. So could you come with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the record of Adam and Eve's disobedience against God. So in Genesis chapter 2, we find the account of God's creation. Adam and Eve are, of course, the first man and the first woman. And God put them in the Garden of Eden and gave them one commandment. And that commandment was that they should eat of any tree that they chose, with the exception of one the tree in the middle of the garden, known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us how the serpent tempted Eve to sin and Eve succumbed to that temptation. She gave in to the, the prospect that the serpent put before her of supposedly being like gods and knowing good and evil. And so the scripture tells us in this third chapter of Genesis that God meted out a punishment upon Adam and Eve. He, he of course, knew about their uh, sin. He knew about their disobedience. And so he had in his justice, he had to punish them. And part of that punishment is, is recorded for us in the 19th verse of Genesis chapter 3, where Adam is told that in the sweat of his face, he would eat bread till thou return to the ground. For out of it, out of the ground, wast thou taken, to dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God was saying that Adam and Eve, they both sinned, they would live a life that would be different. It would be subject to suffering, to hard work, to pain, and so on. And it would end, it would inevitably end in death, and what God meant by death was that they would cease to exist, that they would stop breathing, that their bodies would then slowly corrupt and turn back to dust. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And those words actually echo some words of Genesis chapter 2, which tells us about the creation of Adam in the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we're told that... Uh, when God created the man, he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So God took some of the dust from the earth, the earth that he'd made, he formed it into the shape, if you like, a man, a, a, an empty corpse. and He breathed into it the breath of life. God brought that body that he'd formed from the dust into life by breathing into his nostrils. And so that verse concludes, man became a living soul, a living being. He became alive, like all the other creatures that God had created before him. So in the beginning, God creates Adam from the dust, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. The punishment because of sin is that that life is going to end, and it's going to end by the breath going away, that they will not breathe any longer, and the bodies will return back to the dust 
from which they were created. Uh, and so here we see that death is not in any way a reward, that death is a punishment. It's a punishment that God meets out because of sin. We haven't got time to turn there, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the, the, the wise man who wrote that book of the scripture tells us that when death comes upon a person, that they have no longer any feelings, any emotions, that the life is gone from them, they simply cease to exist. If we turn to Psalm 49, uh, we find the psalmist here, the poet in Psalm 49, giving us some more information about death. And we remember that as the psalmist speaks here, the words in his mouth are God's words. These are the inspired words of God in this poet's mouth, in the psalmist's mouth. Uh, and the first point I'd like us to note from Psalm 49 is in verse 7. So he's speaking about uh, death and he says that none of them, no person, can any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. So what that's telling us is that God's punishment of death, it, it comes upon all people and nobody can save anybody else from death. Yes, we might be able to uh, save someone in a moment from a, an accident happening. We may be able to uh, give medical treatment to help someone who's ill, but we can't actually prevent death ultimately. In the end, everybody will die. There's, there's no man on earth or woman on earth that can save somebody else from death, that can stop that happening. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. Uh, and this is um, something that comes upon all people. Every person dies. Uh, and it's not our subject today, but we know that the Bible tells us that the, the reason for that is because of sin. And we're all guilty of sin. Every single person that's ever lived, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, we all receive a just reward for sin in God's sight, which is death. And this, a very sobering thought, this means that as far as life and death are concerned, when we die, we are just the same as the animals. Verse 12 of Psalm 49. Nevertheless, man being in honour abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. And so in death, when we cease to exist, we stop breathing, our bodies rot and return to dust. In that, we are no different. The human race is no different to any of the other animals that God has made. So death is the end of life, they're opposites. It, it's not a transition to something better. It's certainly not a reward. It's God's just punishment upon the human race. And so he says in verse 14, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. What a sad end to life. What a sad thing death is, that we cease to exist. We, we rot away, and there is no more memory in us. Before we leave Psalm 49, I want us to note that this psalmist, who was a faithful man, who was inspired to write these words by God, this man had a hope. Verse 15, that God will redeem my soul or my life 
from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Uh, and that reminds us, doesn't it, of the, the words we looked at earlier in the chapter in verse 7. No man can redeem his brother. It's not in the, scope, in the ability of any human being to stop someone else from succumbing to death. Verse 7, none of them can any, by any means redeem his brother. But the psalmist says here in verse 15, God can redeem or, or buy back, that word means. He can redeem life from the grave. And so this writer does have a hope of life beyond the grave. And he has that hope because he trusts that God is able to bring him again from the grave. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. So is there a hope? Well, yes, of course, there is a hope. This is what the Bible is about. This is the message of the gospel is to do with this hope of eternal life that God offers to each and everyone who will hear his word. You may know the perhaps the most famous prayer the, the words that the Lord Jesus used to teach his disciples when they asked him how they should pray. Uh, and that prayer, that prayer that embodies the detail of the gospel in so few words, speaks of this hope of the future, which is a hope of life in God's kingdom on earth. And so Jesus taught his disciples to pray to God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is speaking about God's kingdom at a future time. It was something that Jesus' disciples were instructed to pray for. Your kingdom come. It's an appeal to God to bring this age, this time on the world. A time when his will will be done. Everything that God wants to see and desires to see in the earth will be done. That's what will happen in his kingdom. And it will happen, as the, the final words we've got on the screen there say, it will happen on earth. Yes, God rules in heaven now. Yes, his will is done by his angels in heaven now. But the disciples' prayer was for God's kingdom to come on earth when God's will will also be done on earth. And this, the kingdom of God, is the hope that the Bible believer has for the future. The hope that the Bible believer has of life beyond the grave. Now, what I'd like us to do for a couple of moments is look at a couple of characters in the Bible. We're going to, to begin by looking at this man, Abraham, and just try and understand and see and appreciate that they had a hope, that these characters had a hope of life beyond the grave. So we're going to very briefly touch on, on some of these Bible accounts and Bible stories just to understand what these people, faithful people, believe. So the, the account of Abraham is in Genesis chapter 22, or the, at least part of the account, the account that we're going to talk about for a moment. You don't need to turn there, but that, that chapter tells us how that God asked Abraham to obey his word in taking his son Isaac and taking him for a sacrifice. So Isaac was Abraham's only son. God has given him that son uh, by a miracle in his old age. Um, 
he loved his son, of course, and God had told him that it was in his son that some wonderful promises that God had given to Abraham would be fulfilled. And now in Genesis chapter two, God tests the faith of Abraham by telling him to take him to a mountain, Mount Moriah, taking him to the top of the mountain and to offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to God. And we find in Genesis chapter 22 that Abraham was willing to do what God said. He was willing to obey. He was willing to take his son Isaac, to bind him up, to put him on the altar of sacrifice, and he was ready to kill him in obedience to God's words. And uh, reading between the lines in that record, we can also see that Isaac, who was probably a little older than it is shown on the picture there, probably at least a teenager, was also willing to submit uh, to the will of God in allowing himself to be offered as a sacrifice. So there's quite a dramatic story there in Genesis chapter 22, where God asks Abraham to do this unthinkable thing, to kill his only son, who he loved, who God had given him by a miracle and through whom the promises God had given Abraham were to be fulfilled. Why was Abraham so willing to obey God? Why was he willing to take the life of his son? Uh, and that's a question that, that demands an answer, really, doesn't it, as we uh, contemplate that record. I'd like you to turn with me into the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11, because in Hebrews chapter 11, I think we find the answer to that question. And the answer is in the fact that Abraham believed in life beyond the grave. He didn't believe that when he killed Isaac, that that was necessarily the end of Isaac. It, 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 he would die, he would be dead, but he believed that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. So if you're in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, this is a chapter that tells us all about many of the faithful characters of the Old Testament, many of the most faithful people, men and women, of the Old Testament are recorded here in Hebrews chapter 11. And among them, we find this faithful man, Abraham. So we, we, if we look at verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, we read, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. And perhaps we need to fill in a gap there because in the story, that we referred to from Genesis chapter 22, we didn't quite get to the point where Abraham killed Isaac because Abraham didn't kill Isaac. God's angel prevented him at the last moment. The angel stayed his hand and in the end, Isaac it was substituted by a ram that was caught in the bushes. So Abraham sacrifices the ram, he releases Isaac, and sacrifices the ram instead. But the verses here are saying that Abraham offered Isaac and he did as good as offer Isaac. The deed was done as far as Abraham was concerned. His son was bound upon the altar, the knife was raised and he, to all intents and purposes, had committed himself to that act. And it was God that stopped him at the last moment. So he had as good as offered up his only begotten son. Verse 18 of Hebrews 11, of whom it was said, that in Isaac, my seed shall be called to it. What that's telling us is that Isaac was the one 
who was to be the person through whom promises were to be fulfilled, that this was the character, this person that Abraham was about to sacrifice. Why did Abraham do that? Well, verse 19 of Hebrews 11, because he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a big. And I just think about those words for a moment. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Despite the fact that that knife would plunge through him and he, his life would expire, blood would pour out, Abraham believed that God could bring him back to life. But Abraham believed that God could restore Isaac to life, even if he sacrificed him. He accounted that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. Uh, and those last words, from whence also he received him in the figure. It was as if Isaac was raised from the dead because Abraham had as good as killed him. And then God said, stop. And Isaac was freed. Uh, and that was almost a resurrection from the dead because Isaac had been as good as dead. So there, there's the, the story of Abraham. But the point I really want us to take from that is that Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead had he killed him. And so Abraham believed in life beyond the grave, which is our subject this week. The other character or the second character from the Old Testament I'd like us to think about is this man, David. David uh, lived a thousand years after Abraham, about a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, as we may well know, was one of, another uh, character of faith. He trusted in God's word. He began his life in a humble way as, as a shepherd. Um, he was eventually promoted to become king of the God's people, Israel. He was a truster in God. He had great faith. And he wrote many uh, of the Psalms that we find in the Old Testament. And in one of those Psalms, in Psalm 16, we find an expression of David's faith, David's belief, the resurrection from the dead. So we've got the verse on the screen there. Turn it up if, if you would, if, if you'd like. Uh, but it is on the screen as well. So um, David is talking about the subject of death. The context of that is in verse nine. He says, his heart is glad and his glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. So he's speaking about death, about resting. But when he dies, he says he still will have hope because, verse 10, words before us here on the screen, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, that's the Hebrew word for the grave. You will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so what David is saying there then is he's saying that when he dies, when he rests, when he lays down and dies and gives up his last breath, he's going to do so in hope. And that hope is that God will not leave his soul, will not leave his life in the grave. Now, again, these words are telling us that David believed in life beyond the grave. He believed in resurrection. He believed, despite the fact that he would inevitably die, his, his days would end, he would die like every other man and woman. He believed that God could raise him 
from the dead, that God would not leave his life in the grave. He would be laid in the grave, but not forever. Nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. Uh, it's interesting that those same words are picked up in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. And I really would like you to um, turn to Acts chapter 2 if you do have a Bible. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, we have some of the apostles. It's the apostle Peter who's speaking on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So the, the um, setting, the timing of this is after uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been taken up into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, the apostles follow Jesus' command in preaching the gospel to anybody who would hear. And they begin by preaching to the Jews. That's the context of um, Acts chapter 2. So if we looked at um, verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Ye men of Israel, so he's speaking to the Jews, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And the hearers of Peter, many of them were quite hurt by what he said as he accuses them. He accuses of the Jews of killing the Lord Jesus who were claimed to be the son of God, who were claimed to be their king. They were put him to death. They crucified him on the cross. We know the story very well, I'm sure. He goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, whom Jesus, God, hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that she, he should be holden of it. And again, I'm sure we know the story well, but Jesus was crucified he was put in the tomb. It was guarded by the soldiers. Despite that, after three days, God, by his miraculous power and fulfillment of the words that he'd spoken before, brought Jesus back to life. He raised him from the dead. God, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, the, the, the bonds of death. The Lord Jesus was freed from the bonds of death when God raised him from the dead. But the reason I want us to consider these words is not only because they show us that Jesus came out of the grave after three days, he, he rose from the dead. But the reason I wanted to come here was to show you that the words that David spoke, those words that we looked at a few moments ago in Psalm 16, which showed us that David trusted that God would raise him from the dead. That Peter here, and again, Peter is speaking by inspiration, this is um, God's um, meaning of these words, that, that when David spoke those words, they were also a prophecy of what would happen to one of his descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ, a thousand years later. Now, now let, let's look at some verses to try uh, to understand that a bit better, because uh, verse 29 of Acts chapter 2 says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us to this day. So Peter is telling us that David, the man who believed in resurrection from the dead, 
believed that God would redeem his soul from the power of the grave. Peter says a thousand years later, he's still dead. You can go and see his tomb. His tomb is with us to this day. He goes on to say, verse 30, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Uh, and what Peter is pointing out here is that those words from Psalm 16 were not only about David. They were about David. David rightly believed that God would bring him from the grave. But more importantly, they were about the Lord Jesus Christ. David was making a prophecy about his descendant, the fruit of his loins, as it said there in verse 30, his descendant, that, that he, Jesus, would be brought from the dead. And in fact, these words from Psalm 16 that are quoted here in Acts chapter 2 can only really see their full complete fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ if we take account of the second half of what David said. So, so David said that God would redeem his soul from the power of the grave. That was true. It will be true. In the future, God will raise David from the dead because he was a faithful man. But David also said that his flesh would not see corruption, that his flesh would not decay. Remember the curse that God made upon Adam and Eve at the beginning, that they would return to dust, that they were corrupt, that their bodies would rot. When David spoke those words in Psalm 16, he was speaking of someone who would be laid in the grave, who would trust that God would bring him from the grave, but also that would be a person whose body would not rot, his flesh would not see corruption. Uh, and the point Peter is making here in Acts chapter 2 is that that, in its fullness, could not all have been about David because David's tomb was still with them a thousand years later. Of course, he'd rotted into dust by that time. He's making the point that in its fullness, in its completeness, this, this was a prophecy, not about David, but about his greater son, the Lord Jesus, who though he would be laid in the grave, his flesh would not see corruption. He would not rot because he would only be there for three days. And God would bring him forth again. Uh, and it, it brings quite forcefully to our minds the point that it wasn't just characters of faith in the Old Testament who believed in resurrection, that Jesus himself believed in resurrection from the dead. He understood that he was going to die. He taught his disciples that he would have to die. And of course that came true. He was crucified upon the cross. He was really dead. He had ceased to exist. He had no feelings, no emotions, just as uh, is described in the Old Testament, the state of death. But he was raised to life the third day. Jesus believed that would happen. He told his disciples that the third day he would rise again. And they came to understand that after they had seen, uh, seen it come to pass. So David believed in life beyond the grave. So did Abraham. And perhaps more importantly than both of them, so did the Lord Jesus. Part of our title had this word resurrection in it. Um, 
resurrection and life, hopefully on the grow. But what 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 does resurrection mean? We've I think used it several times this evening. The the word resurrection in English is, is translated from the Greek word anastasis. And I put on the screen here uh, the meaning of the Greek word anastasis. It means literally a, a raising up or rising. And sometimes that's in the context of rising from the dead. So when we find this word in the Bible, sometimes it does mean um, somebody uh, arising from sleep or, or, or rising to, to stand up from sitting or lying down. But most times when it's used in the New Testament, it's speaking about rising from the dead. It's speaking about someone who's died, whose breath has gone forth, who's ceased to have any consciousness. They are dead. And they are brought back to life. They are able to stand up again and, and live and breathe once more. That's what this word resurrection means. It means someone who is dead being brought back to life with a, a physical body to breathe and to exist once more. And it's that resurrection that is the hope of the Bible. It's resurrection that is the hope beyond the grave. Uh, our hope as Christadelphians is not in going to heaven. It, it's not a, we don't have a belief that when we die, we transition to a better place and, and go to heaven to be with God. Our belief is, and we believe this is well-founded upon the Bible as we've seen today, that death is an end of existence. It's a cessation of life, but God can restore people back to life should he choose to do so uh, uh, and most particularly we see that in the example of the lord jesus and if we're talking about resurrection we can hardly omit to mention first corinthians chapter 15. you don't need to turn there um you may like to look at the chapter in your own time it's perhaps uh, the best chapter to look at to learn about uh, what resurrection is all about but the most important or some of the, the important points that this chapter makes is to, con to, to give believers in Jesus an assurance that they have the hope of resurrection from the dead. And the basis of their hope of resurrection from the dead is found in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so if you do choose to look at this chapter in your own time, you will see that the Apostle Paul begins by providing the evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus to, to provide evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead. And this, he says to the believers in the city of Corinth, this is the foundation of their faith. If, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, their belief in the gospel is pointless because that's what the gospel is all about. It's about resurrection. It's about believers being assured that they can have a part in resurrection at the last day, the day when God chooses to raise the dead because the Lord Jesus has died and been raised again and, and done a wonderful work of redemption by his sinless life and perfect sacrifice. And so he tells them, if, we, if, we, um, if I read to you one verse from that chapter, verse 23, he says there, every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. 
And so he's talking about Jesus being the first person to be raised from the dead to be given eternal life. He's the first fruits, the first of a harvest, the first fruit of a harvest of people from the dead. Jesus is first. He is the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ's, those who are part of a faithful community of believers in Jesus, they that are Christ's at his coming. And so we as Christophians believe that Jesus will return from heaven to the earth. And at that time, those who are dead, those who have died in faith, they will be raised from the dead. Not to lives as we know them now, not to lives of sin and of suffering and of temptation and of pain. But First Corinthians chapter 15 talks about those who are raised from the dead being given new bodies, being given a victory over sin and over death. And he concludes that chapter by appealing to the believers to thank God for this wonderful hope that he has given and the assurance that he has given in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that really brings us to ourselves, doesn't it? That, that we have a hope, that the hope of the Bible, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life beyond the grave, it isn't just something for someone else. It can be a hope for you and for me. I hope we've understood a, a little bit about what that life beyond the grave is all about. It's about an eternal life in God's future kingdom on this earth. We've seen that that hope of resurrection from the dead was Abraham's hope, it was David's hope, and it was Jesus' hope, and we could have listed many others, uh, faithful characters from the Bible, had we had time. It can be your hope too. If you trust in the word of God, if you show faith, if you believe in particular in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead, then eternal life in God's kingdom can be yours because God has the power to bring your life from the grave too. And so our appeal to you is to choose that hope, to choose life and to lay hold on it. So just to finish off, I'd like you to thank you for your time and to remind you that if there's any way in which we can help, there are various ways that you can contact us. You can see those on the screen um, and you can ask uh, for literature such as this booklet here um, which is about the resurrection of Jesus so once again thanks for your time goodbye